a MAGA meltdown in Michigan, but does it augur something a little deeper and a little darker for America? I'm Matt Robeson. It's Beyond Politics, and I am thrilled to welcome back LOL GOP. No one knows your real name, man. Uh, it's Jason Sattler, a I know. former USA Today. Right. You're, oh, you, there's a man underneath the mask, but uh, we don't know who he is. I suppose you have to protect your secret identity. You can see why I wear a mask, I think, by this point. <laughs> yeah, we'll right. go on, yes. <laughs> Jason Sadler, best known online as LOL GOP for his almost half a million fans on Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter because I'm old school like that. Former USA Today columnist and prolific writer, prolific substacker. And I wanted to have you on to talk about this total mess. It's kind of funny. It's sort of what the moniker LOL GOP was meant for, baby. There's this situation happening in Michigan, but you're up with kind of a bold take, a Stephen A. Smith-worthy hot take this morning <laughs> on your Substack, where you say, all right, this is funny. It truly is funny. Let's all enjoy a good oh, laugh. Yes. But maybe because we're Democrats, we should be a little bit nervous about this. But first of all, tell our listeners I gave a little preview of this on our last show, but tell our listeners the saga of Christina Caramo. Who is she? What happened here? The remarkable thing about Christina Caramo, who's only famous because she was a poll watcher in Detroit who just made up a bunch of stuff around the time when the big lie was going on. Her literally only qualification is that she was someone who was willing to lie for Donald Trump. And she actually may be the second worst choice uh, to be GOP chair. She was elected GOP chair in 2023, immediately after losing her bid to become secretary of state in Michigan by 14%, which losing anything by 14% in Michigan, you basically have to be Washington University at this point to lose that badly in ah. Michigan. It was the worst statewide loss. It's not technically partisan, only our governor is partisan, but the worst statewide loss in my lifetime or since I've been here for a decade, nothing even close. Another gentleman who was on the ballot, Matthew DePino, I think it's pronounced, was running for attorney general. He only lost by eight or 9%. He was much closer. And he was the man that Christina Caramo defeated to become Michigan, the chair of the Republican Party here. It's probably a good thing that she won for the Republican Party, even though I'll explain why she is absolutely just the definition of a MAGA clown in a minute, because she didn't get arrested for alter, altering a voting machine or not arrested, indicted, not yet convicted, but Matthew Perino has been <laughs> this time. He, he went even further into the big lie. It was grabbing voting machines and just pressing buttons. And, and that is not legal, apparently. So he mm. is under indictment. She won, proceeded to, I think, lose the lease on the headquarters almost immediately. The, the party's on the bank of break, bankruptcy. She's famous for sayings like yoga satanic, just the kind of so old school Michelle Bachman, wild, crazy, religious uh, wing nuttery combined with the Trump kind of MAGA, completely irresponsible at a rally, yelling, screaming, going to fall to the floor because she loved Donald Trump so much. All right. Can I, can I pause you here? Like the NBA pauses for its in-season tournament to have a quick please, competition please, for the craziest Christina Caramo statement. And I want our listeners okay. and viewers to bear in mind yes. while we do this, that your contention is. She was still the better choice versus the convict, which is this is she was. anyway, and that, that's <laughs> foreshadowing the point of your article. But OK, Christina Caramo, I did this yeah. on the show the other day, but just to refresh memories here, she has claimed that Beyonce was secretly recruiting black Americans to paganism through her new album. No word on whether 
what she has in mind is, as George W. Bush called that it, one actually turned out to be true. Um, that was actually a surprise to everybody. But... <laughs> is that right? Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. that one's true. Um, I, right. I... <laughs> to which Beyonce said, "Wait, yeah. which album?" And then my <laughs> personal favorite for the best one is that not only is demonic possession real, but it's transferred via intimate relationships, meaning you're having a casual hookup, yes. and lo and behold. You go full exorcist, and now you're demonically possessed. What else or was Stormy there? Daniels is what I say. Basically, yes, right. All right, a full stormy. <laughs> I like that the leaders of Black Lives Matter movement are Marxist witches. I mean, if they're already That's witches, why does it matter? Marxist witches aren't witches sort of like a problem at the beginning, but whatever. And then my, I don't know. The other one that I would put in the running. Let's make this a final four because it's hard to choose just four. The theory yeah. of evolution is, quote, one of the biggest scams ran on us in human history, which is delightfully meta if you think about it, because how far back do you think human history goes, Christine? <laughs> right. Just a thousands of years old, the scam. <laughs> yes, this is quite, quite a lengthy scam. Um, who is the winner of our in-show tournament for craziest Christina Caramo statement or belief? I think the, S, the demonic possession being an S. That's really, I hadn't heard of that one before. I mean, the Beyonce one is really just special and it's just kind of uniquely of the time and shows that she keeps up with the trends. That's real strong behavior right there. But that the, actually the sex can transfer Satan. That to me is inspiring. It's, it is pretty amazing. And of course there are ways to combine all of these things. And I don't know. I mean, if, d does this mean that if you hook up with Beyonce you might become a pagan and <laughs> demonically possessed. These are the burning questions that we need to know. Okay, go back to the story of, so Christina And Caramo, that's what the voters of Michigan, that's what's on their mind. Like when they go to the, the grocery store, they're like, why is Beyonce trying to seduce me into paganism right here in, in Kroger? That, that, that's what's on their mind. So I, and, the and way I would think about it. The problem that I'm having right now is that my wife listens to this podcast. So, honey, would you just skip 30 seconds? Look, if the proposition is Beyonce okay. is trying to seduce you, it's am I that worried about the demonic possession? Like, maybe that's cool with me. I don't right. know. Like, <laughs> exactly. I, I could maybe live with that. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, Christina Carabo defeats the felon, and then she immediately drives the Michigan Republican Party into bankruptcy. Near bankruptcy, not officially yet, but ba essentially bankruptcy. And none of the big donors in the state even, including, but you might've heard of uh, Betsy DeVos, not going to give any yes. money to Christina Caramo. And you need money from Betsy DeVos if you're going to be a Michigan Republican. So, okay. But just to be clear, so then what happened? Because the thing yes. that made headlines is she has been voted out of office. But funny thing when it comes to Republicans, voting out of office is considered sort of like a cute idea. This is <laughs> I, I suggestion noted. That seems to be her attitude about this. So was she or was she not voted out of office? Well, this is a woman who refused to concede when she lost by 14% uh, statewide, which would be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of votes. She is refusing to concede that she is not the chair anymore. But I, I think what eventually is going to happen, she's just going to have legal access to nothing. What, what this ultimately comes down to, and this leads to the less funny part, how the story in, in Florida removing its chair quickly becomes a very disgusting, sick story. This has its own darkness to it. The people who are trying to remove her are very powerful people. It's kind of reminding me of a scene in Network where the, the, 
they want their petrol buck back. They want the powerful, you have messed with the powerful forces of nature, Christina Caramo. You are going to be removed. And if she continues to kind of trouble these people, I imagine she's going to have increasing trouble because this is a person who just kind of, in true MAGA style, wanders into illegality almost constantly. I can kind of picture her hanging out in her basement, like holding Republican party meetings with herself and listening to Beyonce. So, okay, this is all very funny is kind of where we started all of this. And I I would have just, my original idea for having you on was literally, hey, Jason, you go by LOL GOP. Let's get on and do some LOL GOP. No more LOL GP than Kristen Akramo. I mean, she taught, you can't top her. And then you were like, hey, let's do something fun here. We have another state party chair who's just been booted out of office, the the Republican Party chair. We could do a worst Republican Party chair. Then we started talking about, gosh, the Republican, this is really a bummer because he's been charged with rape. And yeah. there's there's nothing LOL about that whatsoever. So it's this feels like it would be kind of a hands-down fight. But you then did something very clever. You wrote this new article in which you incorporated that very idea right into your article to say, okay, this is, boy, you you are sort of using this situation with state party chairs as a metaphor for the larger picture of what's happening to Republicans. And it's all kind of funny until it isn't. Yeah, the Florida situation, it, it gets dark really quick, but it also is kind of, we can't step over without noting it. This is the chair of the party whose wife, is one of the co-founders of Moms for Liberty, the, the, one of the major book banning organizations in America. The woman he's accused of raping is her lesbian lover, who they were supposedly involved in a threesome with. This is the kind of thing, if we were in a book, would be banned in, entirely across the state of Florida. But this is the lives of the people who are in the book banners. So the only thing more disgusting than banning books is the lives of the book banners is the note I would like to put on that. But what's happening in Michigan is actually scary to me because Michigan is the state where Donald Trump got his narrowest victory in 2016. He won here by just 10,000 votes on the first time in a generation that any Republican had won here. We are a very close state. We've had Republican rule on and off. Basically, we haven't, they've controlled our state Senate since 1984. Democrats just took over in 2022 after a remarkable series of Democratic reforms have made voting much easier, have gotten rid of partisan gerrymandering, have brought same-day registration. All these great things have happened to make us that we are a competitive state. We were. We are the definition of a bluish, purplish state that was gerrymandered and rigged red for decades. And I think that's at risk. And people like the who is behind this plot for Christina Caramo, there's not great reporting on it yet. But I would bet would be people like Rick Snyder, the man who's most famous for poisoning Flint, very powerful, rich Republicans who actually really see that there's an opportunity in 2020 to win back at least one house of the state and stop the Democrats from doing the good work that they've been doing with the trifecta that they've had since 2022 and possibly put Donald Trump in the, in the White House. So let me read that back to you. Yeah. And you are obviously, for our video viewers, it's obvious from your baseball cap that you're a Michigan guy, if I didn't say that before. So you watch all this stuff very closely. What you're saying is that Michigan, we know, is already one of the five states that's probably going to matter in 2024. It mattered in 2016. It mattered in 2020. And so the Michigan, you're sort of guessing a little bit here, but you've got some, you've got some knowledge to go on. 
And you're saying, look, as far as you can tell, a dysfunctional Republican Party infrastructure in the state was being driven totally into a ditch by this literally insane person that they elected chairwoman. And you suspect that the powers that be among Republicans actually got together and said, enough's enough. If we're going to actually make the state matter in 2024 like it should, we've got to not be bankrupt as a party. We've got to actually campaign here. And that means we've got to get rid of her. And so th that's that sounds like what you're saying. And it's and this is all my contention in reading your article yeah. is that what you're really suggesting is that Michigan is a microcosm for what we've been seeing for coming on eight years now in America. That because not only is that we talk we're talking here about a party in dysfunction where it's like, hey, we have a crazy person at the head of this. What do we do? And that's sort of the dilemma that Republicans have writ large. But it also speaks to <laughs> the schism that is happening. I mean, we're seeing this play out in the House of Representatives right now, where Mike Johnson struck a reasonably conservative slash sane deal with Chuck Schumer to fund the government. And of course, the same, they called him ultra conservative. Can we just put a stop to this? The Freedom Caucus is not conservative, not in the political sense, not in the common English language usage sense of the word. They are MAGA people. They are MAGA insane people, okay? So the Freedom Caucus types are revolting again, and I do mean that as double entendre, and they have revolted in the House. They are slowing down. They're taking away floor control from the Speaker. They're threatening him that once again, they're going to boot another speaker out of the chair all because of this. And what it's revealing is there are maybe two, maybe three Republican parties that exist today. And one of them is a clear MAGA. And there is a faction that still is behind Christina Caramo that is sort of dead ending this. And, and that's what we're seeing with Trump. I, so maybe I'm over interpolating yeah. your article, but you seem to be suggesting that, hey, this is worth paying attention to because- this is the entire story of the Republican Party over the last decade playing out in real time in front of us. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yes, I would say there's definitely the, the kind of all the threads you see nationally definitely take place in Michigan. I, I would argue, argue there's a little bit unique thing going on here, but I would say what's ultimately the three Republican parties theory has kind of existed more or less since the Tea Party. And the thing that's upsetting to me and the thing that's worrying to me is when it comes to elections, they are ruthless in who they end up supporting. It has, has a machinery that, that tosses people like Christina Caramo aside. You get rid of Steve King when he starts to threaten you to lose his house seat. They take these clowns seriously to the point where they actually may cost them some power. I don't know. What's kind of interesting about the debate is how relevant these state parties are. There's a lot of people who argue everything that ever happens bad in the world is the fault of the DNC. To which a lot of Democrats would say, I wish the TNC had any power almost of any sort whatsoever and is, isn't just basically a letter stamping op operation that sends out, does some fundraising, does some organizing and keeps kind of the, the lights on in general, but has almost no, almost no control over the party. The party is led by these big donors typified by Betsy DeVos, who came out of the shadows. These are the people who run the party. They do not care. She pretended to care about the insurrection, quit the cabinet. And she will do everything she can to reelect Donald Trump, to get put Donald Trump back in the office. What I'm saying is they're throwing her aside, 
not so much because the party matters, but because they're saying, we're not going to let you be the face of the party. They recognize how this is a person who lost by 14%. This is a person who no suburban person in Michigan is going to say, I want in charge of anything. At least she doesn't steal voting machines, but she would like to. She didn't figure out how to steal the voting machine yet. So, so they are getting rid of her. And I would argue there's a uniqueness to what's going on in Michigan. And, and that has to do with the Muslim population mm. in Michigan, which is a, it's, in our conversation beforehand, we point out it's not the largest Muslim population in America, um, even state by state per capita. But I do believe it's the most ingrained, meaning it is the longest, it, it's the longest running, steady, politically centered. They control Dearborn in the sense that they've been entrenched in power for so long. It is a it's an established community that's sort of politically contiguous, power. has an identity. So, yes. so let me, because some people will not, although they all should, but they, yeah. they will not have read your article. You're sort of twisting the knife here in, in, in what you're arguing, because we all enjoy, we get a lot of mileage, especially when I do videos on YouTube on the Blue Amp channel. We enjoy doing a little fun skewering of Republicans, right? Yeah. And you enjoy that too, which is why you adopted this online superhero persona. <laughs> this is about let's laugh at the insanity. And we all enjoy a good, look, they're like the chimps at the zoo. Oh, look, this one is throwing <laughs> poo at that one. Isn't that funny? And it's all funny until we chuckle our way to losing Michigan and Donald Trump becomes president again. And part of what you're arguing is, ha ha, they're in disarray. Have you noticed that Biden is losing by eight frickin' points in the state? That's That got real serious real fast there. I mean, that is that is bad. So, so I just wanted to connect that over to what you're saying could be happening, among many other things, is there is this well-established Muslim community that is a an organized political force in Michigan. Unlike I tried to California. say, it took me a lot of words, but I tried exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm interpolating. That's what I <laughs> yes, translating. It's so California has the largest Muslim population by numbers, not the biggest by proportion. New York, no, Illinois is the biggest by proportion. Michigan is fifth by raw numbers, fourth by proportion. But what you're saying is it's one thing to have high numbers of population, but if they're not organized, if they don't have kind of a mutual political identity where people may vote in a kind of coordinated way because there is a political organization that connects the community, it doesn't, it's not as much of a factor. It doesn't matter. What you're saying is in Michigan, it is a factor. And therefore the war between Hamas and Israel could be having a serious impact and it doesn't matter if Christina Caramo is a crazy person and everything that's wrong with the Republican Party, because that's all getting overshadowed by this other force that's really weighing the president down. Yeah. And I'll be honest, that this community had not been, there have been a lot of divisions going on in this community over issues like trans rights, where the Muslim community was trending right. They, they kind of, I wouldn't say fell into the trap, but they were this kind of weaponized attack on trans people was being used quite effectively, the banning the books. A lot of the things were happening in, in red states you're seeing in, in these areas. And, and, and you point out that the population here isn't the largest. I don't know if there's a city in Virginia or California where there's actual Muslim leadership and the government is almost entirely Muslim American. 
I think it's pretty unique to, to Michigan. I think that the, you did point out in your conversation, Minnesota would be the closest thing. And I actually looked at the polls there. Biden won by seven or eight percent in 2020. The latest poll there shows him only winning by three percent, showing there there may be a similar thing going on in Minnesota. I think Minnesota is the one area that's kind of similar. The community is newer, but there's the and the kind of debate about the war in Gaza is the kind of debate that if you're online at all, quickly gets away from being anything where there is middle ground for the people yeah. who are participating in this debate on both sides. And that's that creates a position where there's not a position where Biden come up. There's not going to be a campaign ad that fixes this issue for Biden. I, I just don't believe that. And I don't even think that trying to be ahead, I think he should commit to what has been overall policy. We are we are supportive, but we are heading toward the two-state solution. We want a peace process. We don't want the war to be escalated. We want proportionality and stuff like that. That is his policy. That's never going to satisfy the people who think that there's what Israel is doing in Gaza is our war crimes. And that's never going to satisfy the Israelis who believe what the atrocities prompted any sort of response that's necessary to get rid of Hamas. Both sides are equally committed. I actually think they're both, there's people on both sides who are arguing in very good faith. And if you had friends in the, on the ground on either side, I don't think you would be in a position to be like, what is the compromise position that this is that Joe Biden come up with that'll save him some votes, enough votes to win Michigan? I just don't think it's a winnable political argument, if, if that makes sense to me, to you. And, and you're someone who has much more experience on, on Capitol Hill. But I, to me, this seems like it just outside the bounds of normal electoral politics for Biden even to delve into to try to win an election. It's become monstrous. It's become monstrously complicated. And that's one of the reasons why I really liked your article is that I haven't, there's been a lot of hand-waving analysis that sort of diffusely says Joe Biden and the Democratic Party by extension may be suffering because of his staunch support for Israel over the last three months. And yours is the first analysis that I've seen that really says, all right, let's look at this on a state level look at what's happening in polling and see if we can connect the dot over. And you fully admit in a, that there might be some Olympic level hemming and hawing about this because yeah. you don't have all the data. We're not sure, but it's, there are some interesting breadcrumbs here and it, it speaks to a lot of things that are sort of worthy of thinking about as we get into 2024. One of them is we don't know how much recency bias and some of the negative factors that are on voters' minds from the last six months are going to blot out the sun on their recollection of what Trump really is. Because you point out that what we're talking about here is, let's say your hypothesis is right, and that Biden is paying a disproportionate political penalty for his support of Israel in Michigan, because they have a disproportionately high Muslim population that really identifies with the Gazan side of the struggle and feels more that Israel is in the wrong here. That is a reasonable supposition, but it requires them to have forgotten that Trump is the father of the Muslim ban. Right. And that is quite possible. And that, that speaks to me to kind of this larger question of what we see people saying in focus groups and in polling is, boy, we just don't like that prices are higher than they were three years ago. Yeah. We don't like that. We blame the president for that. And there is a rich political history of this 
This is a, a, a known effect. This happens. Um, anytime there's inflation, people don't think about inflation. This is like a core political lesson. No one thinks in terms of rates. People think in terms of bills, right? No one cares what the inflation rate is, right? People care how much am I paying on my bills? And what people are experiencing is not, hey, we have 50-year low unemployment. We have historic job creation. We have the most incredible bounce back from the COVID-induced recession of any G7 nation, both in terms of inflation and in terms of GDP and in terms of employment. None of that matters. What they experience most directly in their lives is my prices are higher. My bills are higher. So when they say, I think the economy is worse than I thought it was during the Great Recession in 2008, when they tell pollsters that, which is what people are telling pollsters, that's what they mean. And so that I can accept that as a political proposition, but what it requires is recency bias. It requires right. forgetting the disaster that Donald Trump led us into economically because of his mismanagement of COVID. And so it just feels like you've tapped into the critical political question here, or one of them, which is, to what extent is that recency bias going to swamp all of our memories of Trump from three and a half years ago and how awful things were? And is that going to determine our future? Right. And, when, and that's Joe Biden's challenge is to make this election about what's happening now in the war in Gaza, and, and I'll make an, you know two notes about the war in Gaza. Is one, I don't think the Muslim community, and who are especially extremely tuned into politics, don't they won't forget who Donald Trump is. But they have one weapon to try to get the United States to change its policy, and that is their vote, and that is what they're saying. They are saying it's not about we will sacrifice if we can try to do this. It's a it's an activist stand. It's not electoral stand. And Joe Biden's problem is it helps him. His strong thoughts for Israel. It's very helpful to him almost everywhere. And you see in Pennsylvania, there's a poll where it shows him winning about by 3%, which is about what he won in 2020. They looked at John Fetterman specifically and said, is his strong support of Israel hurting or helping? It's helping him. This is probably helping Joe Biden in more places than it's hurting. Mm. But the one place this is really hurting and could really hurt is the place with that may have one of the tightest, Wisconsin generally is the tightest margin, but Michigan has been that tightest margin. So it really may affect there. So the challenge Joe Biden has is to make this election about something other than what we've been dealing with for the past three years in the kind of the immediate crisis of and taking people beyond and making it a choice between the, the two visions of the future. I think Joe Biden's real challenge here is to get this about thinking, getting people to think ahead, because when they think behind right now, they're not happy, despite the fact that you and I know this is maybe the most successful presidency on the domestic level, taking all of the kind of foreign policy um, questions out on the domestic level, at least since LBJ, um, in terms of what he's gotten accomplished, how the economy has turned down, um, turned up, the legacy of being a pro-workers' rights. You know, there are so many things that he make him look great in Michigan. I'm just saying that there are a lot of people in this state who will use their vote to try to affect the change um, policy. Whether that's happening, your key point here, is that happening in October? Is that happening in November? Mm. Is there some resolve to this war? And I'm looking at this now and I don't see it because Netanyahu has no, he has no incentive to end this war because as soon as this war ends, the question becomes, how did he let this happen? And he does not want that to be the political question in Israel at the moment. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. 
That raises two questions. One is a classic one, which is to what degree is there a lag in voter perceptions between economic real time and political consequence? What I mean by that is we've seen consistently and political scientists actually incorporate this when they do voting models, like when Nate Silver used to do the 538 voting model, he doesn't look at real time. What's the employment level real time? What's the price level? What they tend to do is incorporate. What was it three months ago, six months ago? Yes. Because voters perceptions of the economy tend to set in at some unknown period before an election. And so some of what we, we might be picking up in polling today is perceptions from six months ago. And six months ago, not only were was inflation higher, not only were prices higher, but the most volatile items were higher. Food prices were higher. Gas prices were higher. And people may not have mentally caught up to the fact that gas prices are actually quite reasonable right now. Food prices have come down. There's been deflation in food prices and it may just take people some time. And so one question, one thing you're hitting on here is we just don't know where we'll be in nine or 10 months or more importantly in about six months, because over this upcoming summer is when those economic perceptions are going to begin to set in. The other thing you're raising that I think is a really critical political question for 2024 is this really astute point that voters may be using their vote to punish Joe Biden on one thing that they don't like. It's always been my contention, and I've argued for it in the pages of Raw Story and Alternate, and I've argued for it in in other op-eds, and I've talked about it on the show. It's always been my contention that it is a fundamental flaw of political polling that we give people binary choices. It's also a flaw of our voting system. And they have to boil down a very complex set of feelings to a binary choice. And there's good reason to believe that they might be doing that when they respond to pollsters right now. So if I ask you, Jason, are you supporting Joe Biden or Donald Trump right now, you may say, I'm undecided. You may say, I'm supporting Donald Trump. What's going on one click down in your brain is, I am angry about Joe Biden's too strong support for Israel, lack of nuance for the suffering on the Gazan side. And the only way I can express that is in this binary yes or no kind of way. And the big question to me, and I think what Democrats are banking on, is that voters may be expressing those feelings to pollsters right now, but they will argue to you that when push comes to shove, when people are locked in the voting cubicle, they will say, I still will vote for Joe Biden. I've had my, I've let my feelings out. Now when push comes to shove, I will vote for Joe Biden. But that might be a dangerous proposition. Yeah. And I'm arguing that given how close the margins is, that's the dangerous proposition. Because the, like you said, the, the classic example is that in 83, Ronald Reagan looked like he was beatable. 
in 84, he won maybe the biggest, I think it's the biggest re-election ever because he had a similar situation where the- He just won Minnesota, right? It was just yeah. Minnesota? <laughs> he lost, yes. Mondale won DC, I think, yeah. yeah. So there, that's a classic example of inflation tampered down that people caught it. The good news caught up with people. People start seeing the stock market. They see their 401k starts to look better. They, it all kinds of starts to sink in. And there's a media perception that things are going quite well. And there's a snowball effect. You wonder if that could happen, given how packed into our society the right-wing media is now and Hunter Biden's penises and stuff like that. Sorry about that. If that's okay to say on the show, but how how good the right is at distracting us from the real news of what's going on here. But I do think that there is a real opportunity here for the Biden campaign to win over the voters who voted for Gretchen Whitmer. She won almost by 10% to win over the people who refused to vote for Christina Caramo when she lost by 14%. And there are a lot of persuadable voters in Michigan, probably more than almost anywhere else where the whole kind of Reagan Democrat kind of perception comes from. And I think that you focus on the two big issues that Michigan has really embraced. And one is ending gerrymandering and and abortion rights and uh, basically democracy and Dobbs is what they call it in a lot of other places. But I think that Biden needs to make a step to make this election about something bigger than just what the moment is and about the future. And I think that to me looks like Supreme Court expansion, make the case that we're stuck with if, if Trump gets one more choice, in the, if he gets to replace even Samuel Alito or, or Clarence Thomas, he's entombing us with a Dobbs for the rest of our adult lives. And the only way out of this mess is to expand the court and make the court reflect the vote, the will of the voters, which who keep electing Democrats by the popular vote, eight out of them that last nine times. So to me, it has to there, there has to be a change in the direction here. It can't just be a hedging on Gaza. You're not going to say the right word or the right policy. Even if you reverse now, it probably hurt Biden more with the people who support Israel. It's it's not a place where you can win. I think that's the elevating the stakes and making about something bigger democracy and, and restoring freedoms is the way to go. And it's won in Michigan big time in the last few years. I think, first of all, that I can tell that you're a writer professionally, first and foremost, because in tomb is exactly the word. That is le mot juste, as the French would say. <laughs> and I completely agree. That is, I think, where I wanted to end up because it kind of takes us full circle back to Christina Caramo. It's a repeated idea in the last 10 years that there are lessons learned about fighting clownish, outlandish, outrageous, criminal populists around the world. We've seen it in Italy. We've seen it in lots of other countries. And the lesson learned, the best practice that people will scream at you in the op-ed pages is don't get distracted by the circus. Don't get drawn into every outrage. Look, Lauren Boebert just groped a guy and now her other guy has gotten arrested. I mean, I do enjoy kind of dwelling on some of that. I do some of that on video. Reinforcing the idea that these are clowns is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. There's political value in that. But when it comes to Trump, when it comes to defeating Trump, that won't work. We learned that painfully in 2016, that if we make this about, oh, isn't he outrageous? Oh, isn't he a clown show? He will delight in that. We just saw this with his intentional leaning in to attending the oral arguments in D.C. over whether he enjoys complete immunity from all prosecution. He, he didn't have to do that. He did it because it created media attention 
that drew attention away from his rivals who are trying to get momentum in Iowa. And we've learned that all of that media attention, all of that oxygen getting sucked up by him, onto him, benefits him. And so as much as Trump is is grasping for new outrages, we're all like, we're all like drug addicts that need a bigger and bigger dose to get a fix. Yeah. When the, I, and by we, I mean the, the, the media networks. So he's grasping for, for greater and greater outrages. And we can lean in on those and we'll continue to. I mean, again, it's not a bad thing. But for Joe Biden, for the Democrats, for the people who actually have to run the campaign and beat him, the only way to do it is to elevate it. And to really make it about, I am not averse to Joe Biden's theme of the soul of the nation, the fight for democracy. I think that is a critical theme. And I am sure, I'm positive that, I mean, the pollsters who work for the president have been on this show in the last year. I am positive that we are going to see a heavy dose of Dobbs. We're going to continue to see that because it also has the benefit of being true. Those are the true stakes here. It's Dobbs and democracy. I think that captures it perfectly. I just hope that there's some, we got to tell people at some point, it's not every election where democracy is at stake. And you got to give people a hope that there's this, at some point, this is going to be different. And what is the difference here is that we're not stuck with, we're not doomed to be led by these six MAGA judges who are going to be with us the rest of our lives. That to me is what is the difference that he's offering? And I know he's really against this and he has made some kind of he has flipped on big issues in the past that where he sees the center of the party. I'm just hoping the center of the party becomes something where there's a real practical thing to offer to people. I think his economic plan is delivered. And I think as we start to see it, we'll see he has put workers first. Workers are having the best recovery of this time period. But he needs to give other people who might be considering Trump some vision of what would be like and the difference between him uh, under him. Because I think for people who aren't af afraid of being uh, deported or aren't afraid of uh, having to get abortion pills at a pharmacy, Trump doesn't fit, scare them the way that it does most people who would be affected by his policies. But I think the idea that the, the freedom is at stake and, and Biden has actual plan to restore those freedoms, to me, speaks to the larger elevation that you're talking about to make it so it's not just about what he, how he's comparing himself to Hitler today. Right. And he, he wants to, I mean, look, he just said I'm doing it. See, I'm getting sucked into his latest outrage statement, yeah. but it's what's worth interrogating. He just said the economy is terrible except for the stock market, probably because I'm doing well in the polls. I mean, folks, take a step back and think about the logic of that. Think about the twisted logic of that. First, the economy is terrible. No, it's not. I, I know that we're having a vibes session. I get it. Prices are high. I get it. But but the idea that the economy personified is selective and that it is approving of Donald Trump's relative lead in the primary, but disapproving of everything. It's just, it's the height. But it does. But the thing that, that I, I, I also hope that people recognize he's good at this. He is good at how do you look at a good economy? Joe Biden really has an excellent economy, the best economy any incumbent has to run on. I mean, I think since 84, at least. And how do you give, you got to give your, your you got to give your choir something to preach. And he always gives his choir something to yell at their stepkids. That's what he does. He gives an explanation. He offers, and he doesn't, and, and one thing I, the one thing I've ever come up with, and I think I stole it from someone else, which is telling, is that Donald Trump doesn't lie. 
to be believed. He lies to be repeated. And anytime you're repeating what he's saying, I'm not saying for people like us who have a kind of obligated right. to interrogate what he's saying. And we have a smart audience that can tell the difference, but right. yes, absolutely. Well, and the other, I mean, maybe I'll get you out of here on this. I mean, I don't want to fall into the Democratic Party trap of obsessing only about the man himself, the presidency yes. itself, and this one election. There are a lot of elections happening in 2024. The Senate, for instance. The Senate. Matters to for instance, plan of, of to, you know, I don't know. Let's just throw one out there. <laughs> you know, and we saw just last night, we saw New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who has been outspoken in his criticism of Donald Trump and who has endorsed Nikki Haley as I calculating choice, I think, the best alternative the best possibility of defeating Donald Trump. Left, right. <laughs> and yeah, right. The only possibility really. And yet he goes on TV and he says, even if Donald Trump is convicted and is a felon, if he is the nominee, Chris Sununu will vote for him. That to me, we talk in politics about litmus tests. I think this is the ultimate litmus test. I think we have hit a point where there really is a bright line divide in America. And you are either in league with Donald Trump and the forces of darkness. I, I, I'm not trying to be glib about this. I mean, you either are willing to throw out all of your principles, all of your beliefs, all of your morals for all of your freedom, partisan, all of freedom, all of American history and democracy for partisan advantage. Why? Why, Chris? Why? What is it worth it to you to have a Republican president? What is it you want out of that that's more important to you than American democracy? And Chris Sununu, by the way, is a supposedly pro-choice Republican. Bullshit. Bullshit, Chris Sununu. So I think there are a lot of Chris Sununus out there. I think there are a lot of smiling, reasonable-seeming Republicans out here who this is a test. This is the ultimate test. And I will say that Al Simpson, the former Republican senator, Wyoming senator, said when I was in grad school and he was the uh, head of the Institute of Politics at the Kennedy School, he said in Washington, but he could have said in life, integrity is all that matters. If you have it, that's all that matters. And if you don't have it, that's all that matters. And we're having a massive integrity test of our country and of our politicians and of the Republican party. Chris Sununu just failed it the other night, but I hope people will bear in mind when they assess their vote that at the end of the day, democracy is on the line, our freedoms are on the line, and there's no middle ground on this. You're either on one side or the other. And I hope that they will bear that in mind in all of their voting decisions. If Liz Cheney can figure it out, it's not that tough. That's what I'm saying. Amen. All right. A perfect place to get out on. All right. So I want people to read your Substack. You can look for Jason. It's called The Cause. You can search for LOL GOP. Of course, it's not a hard search if you're on Twitter where you can follow Jason there. Jason Sattler, thanks so much for being on Beyond Politics. Thanks, Matt.